Hey guys, this is Hampton at the More and More Podcast. I just interviewed Adam Bailey, one of our students. Uh, you're going to love this podcast. We talk about the finer points of Calvinism, uh, our favorite heretics, as well as some great books that Adam is reading because Adam reads more books than anybody I know. So tune in to the More and More Podcast today. Uh, thanks for listening. Hey guys, this is Hampton from the More and More Podcast. We are excited to be sitting down with the one and only beautiful Adam Bailey. Um, Adam is a student at Carolina. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Adam, who are you? And yeah, let's start there. Who are you? Yeah, well, I'm Adam Bailey. Like Canton said, I'm a student at Carolina, specifically a junior majoring, double majoring in finance and risk management. Yeah, make and sure they know what your double major is, did they? And insurance. Smart cookie that's here. What? Okay. <laughs> That, that's that's where I'm at right now. So I've got one year of school left after I take these final exams. So, um, yeah, I'm from Lancaster, South yeah. Carolina. So it's about an hour 15 from Columbia. So yeah, what kind, of, what kind of background are you coming from as far as church world? Give us a little, I guess, synopsis of your story so far. Sure. I grew up in... South Carolina, like I said, born and raised, and so my family went went to church faithfully as I was growing up, and they took me, and it was around when I was nine years old that I surrendered my life to Christ at a vacation Bible school, and mm. it wasn't, you know, the regular altar call, come down to the altar kind of thing, pray the sinner's prayer, it was... I vividly remember making a conscious decision, um, being being told that I was sinful and that only Jesus could, you know, be my righteousness. Um, and I understood that as much as I could as a nine-year-old. Uh, yeah. And it, it took a few years for just my heart to catch up with that. But I know that I didn't make it, I didn't know that I didn't make that decision to, you know, one day go to heaven or something, you know, that's what some people get told. Yeah. Is, you know, kids are so susceptible to that. <laughs> and they can be told, you know, if you don't pray this prayer, you might you might go to hell. And so I, I wasn't coerced into it that way. I, yeah. I, you know, God changed my heart um, to, to be able to, to choose him and accept him. And so, yeah, like I said, it took a few years for, <laughs> I guess, um, you know, my mind and heart to really catch up and for sanctification to kick in, but, I mean, that's that's God's timing in my eyes. And uh, it, it took around to my senior year of high school when I really started getting into the Word very faithfully and always knew the importance of getting into Scripture and praying. And, you know, as I was growing up, I didn't, I didn't take it seriously. I didn't take it for what it was until um, I met... A youth pastor from a church down the road from mine, actually, and I started going to this Bible study that really changed how I saw God and and His Word, and I knew I understood that I needed to latch myself onto the Word, you know, before I went off to college or something, and you know, made sure I knew what the Word actually said, you know, so I wouldn't get swayed by, you know. All, all the crazy things that come right. at you right when you set foot on a college campus. And so, luckily, luckily, I, I got in that Bible study when I did. And I don't think if I, I don't think that if I um, hadn't gone, then, uh, actually, that was a weird sense. I'll, <laughs> I'll, start, I'll start over. <laughs> if I hadn't gone, I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah. Probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. So, yeah. so we're just going to jump right in. One of your biggest passions, we've known each other, listeners, for like, known each other intimately, if I can use that word. Sure. Um, I think, I, anyways. Um, <laughs> we've known each other for three years. Um, and so, one of your biggest passions for as long as I've known you, but especially in the past year and a half or so, has been theology and pursuit of knowing God with your mind and like understanding the final things of God. And so, first, how did you grow in passion for that? And then, why is that important? And we'll, we'll unpack that later. So, <clears throat> let me think. Okay, so, 
when I started really getting into the Word, like I said, mm-hmm. there were a lot of things that I just wasn't understanding. Because whenever yeah. I did start reading the Word seriously, I just you know, made a commitment to, to the Lord, yeah. to myself, that I would read straight through. Um, so I'd understand the, the large picture and the yeah. large narrative of Scripture. So I just did a plan where I read through the Bible in a year, straight through Genesis to Revelation. Right. And I always, I always used study Bibles. I thought they were great. I thought they were great tools. Um, still do. And I found that I didn't know that some study Bibles had just such great material to, <laughs> to add on to Scripture. And yeah. then when I figured out how to use you know cross references and stuff and how Scripture interprets Scripture, then yeah. I was I was fascinated by that. And so to learn more about um, God and his attributes. One book that I read when I was in high school was Knowledge of the Holy yeah. by A.W. Tozer. And that that kind of kicked in too. I mean, that yeah. was, I never really thought about how God was, well, I knew he was, you know, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and he's all these things. And I never thought about the implications of those. Yeah. Like, how does that make him important? What does that mean for me and for my life and the people around me? And one attribute that I never considered before I read that book is how he's unchanging. Yeah. Um, he has no beginning nor end. And so, you know, to learn more about God just became the, really, the goal of uh why I would come to Scripture every morning, yeah, uh, with with you know an open mind and an open heart, and so That's good. basically uh, that that did become my passion. Just and to to read other books because you know I do love to read yeah. other books outside of Scripture, obviously, um, yeah. other theology books to read other people's interpretations of Scripture and to you know kind of mix that in with you know, what I, what I come to on my own, um, you know, through the Spirit's guidance whenever I do read, yeah. uh, also is just awesome. And so, um, I think... Yeah, so what, what do you think is the most important thing? As you started to understand theology and grow in knowledge of God, um, and we're, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but like, it seems to me that the majority of Christians, especially college-age Christians, are either 100% invested in like this pursuit of, of knowledge, like theology, and or, and this is more often the case, they're just like, as long as they love Jesus, in quotes, uh, this is an audio podcast, cause, so you can't see the quotes that I'm making, but the as long as they love Jesus, they don't really have a robust knowledge of who God is. So there seems to be this disconnect. Um, so what was the most important thing that you learned in your, I guess, thirst for knowledge about God? But also, why is it important for college students to have some basis in theology? Does that question make sense? It does. Okay. The most important thing I've learned about God is His holiness. Yeah. I was reading about it this morning. One of the books I'm reading right now is The Holiness of God mm-hmm. by R.C. Sproul and... Um, it, he talks about where in Isaiah 6, when, you know, the seraphim are flying around and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. Yeah. Have you ever read this book? No. Okay. The thing about whenever they say, holy, 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 three times is that saying something, you know, repeating something like that, repeating a word or a mm-hmm. phrase is supposed to add, add emphasis yeah. to the meaning of that phrase or word. And there's no other attribute about God that is described threefold yeah. like that in the Bible. It's not mercy, mercy, mercy. Nobody right. ever says justice, 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 yeah. or love, love, love. It's always and will be holy, holy, holy. Right. You see that in Isaiah. You see it in Revelation. Yeah. And you know other examples, when Jesus tells parables, he says, truly, truly, yeah. I say to you, and so on. Yeah. And 
for something to be repeated three times, you know it's important. It's elevated to the superlative, the the highest of the highest order. And so um, when Isaiah is in the throne room and he, and he is when he encounters this glory and when he encounters this holiness, he says, Woe to me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, mm. which, you know, woe, woe is me, or woe to me, I'm undone, kind of old terms that we don't really use, and to be undone means to be, or means to come apart at the seams, yeah. to know that you, you're a nothing in, yeah. in relation to what, to what you're witnessing right now, to what he was witnessing which was the revelation of the holiness of God, and then the angel comes with the burning hot coal, yeah. and you know the Lord says you're cleansed after He puts the coal on His lips, yeah. Um, and then that's not the end of it, because soon after that, the Lord says, "Whom shall I send?" Right. Isaiah says, "Here am I. Send me." That's good. So what does that mean for us is that, you know, God just doesn't cleanse us and, you know, purify us, you know, through Christ. Yeah. And, and just leave us be. There's salvation and then there's mission. Right. There's salvation and then there's ascending, mm. which that applies to all of us. Yeah. So that's our response to God's holiness. Yeah. Is, like, wow, you know? <laughs> yeah. So why do you think that students especially are, like, averse to to understanding theology? Like, why? And I'll, I'll even say we. Like, why do we, as college-age people, millennials, whatever you want to call us, Generation X, Z, whatever. <laughs> I forget what the generations are called at this point. but Nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> why, why are we not passionate about the study of theology? Why do we, yeah, why are we not pursuing this I think it's a lack of the understanding of God's holiness yeah I think that's what we should all be aware of first and foremost before yeah. we before we approach anything else I do think that people might you know not be jumping on the theology boat you know they might not be uh, willing to do that right away just because maybe sometimes it can be seen as something don't that only the quote-unquote super-Christians yeah. do, or the academics, or, you know, the seminary students. Yeah. You know, like, if you're, if you're a believer and if you've been saved by grace, then yeah. you're, you're free to go about with theology yeah. and to learn about God because that's what he calls us to do, is yeah. to, to know him better. Yeah, and I think, I think too, like... If we really understood how holy he was, we would want to know him. If we really understood how loving he was, we would want to know more. Like, it honestly, to me, it seems like an elevation of us and not of God because as long as we're the center, we just want to learn more and more about what God thinks of us. Yep. And not what we're supposed to think about God and who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so something I've been dying to talk to you about, we've been meaning to talk about, but we never have. Let's go. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> So, for listeners who don't know, Adam and I disagree on one fundamental thing about theology. Is that fair? I, we probably disagree in more areas, but this is like a fundamental thing about the two of us. Is this that a fair characterization? This is a weird thing that has different points that we agree and disagree on. Yes. But yeah, you're right. Okay. So, and that is, anybody who knows me long enough to have listened to me rant knows that I'm not a Calvinist. Um, Adam, or would you say, would you call yourself a Calvinist? Yes, sir. Boom, proudly. Probably were. So explain, this is a term that gets thrown out a ton. Calvinism gets thrown out. It gets thrown out more than the other spectrum, which is, you don't, I can't even, I can barely pronounce Arminianism. But, um, so would you just briefly explain Calvinism in the most digestible terms? And then I would love to uh, talk through it. We're not going to debate, oh, he cracked his knuckles. (laughs) We're not going to debate, we're not going to, um. We won't get too far into the weeds, but I do want to talk about it because uh, what better place to talk about it than on a podcast that will encourage it. So, yeah, um, yeah as you understand Calvinism in the most digestible way, could you explain the, the finer 
points of Calvinism? Yeah, as far as I understand it. Um, <laughs> it is a branch of theology that places a greater emphasis on God's sovereignty over man's, yeah. short and sweet. And if you're familiar with Reformed theology, Reformed theology and Calvinism, they're interchangeable. I sometimes use Reformed just because Calvin actually didn't come up with the five points. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, but either way, if you're familiar with it, you might know of the five points, an acronym, TULIP, um, yeah. where, and I personally don't like these names for, you know, the acronyms. Yeah. Hanson, I know you don't like them. I hate them, but that's okay. <laughs> I will go through them real quick. Yeah. Uh, total depravity for T, unconditional election, limited atonement, oof, <laughs> irresistible, irresistible grace, yeah. and perseverance of the saints. And there are, there are many verses in Scripture that go with each point. Yeah. Total depravity meaning that Man is sinful from his youth, or no man is good. Unconditional election, meaning that from the beginning of time, God looked ahead and he specifically chose whom he was going to save. Mm -hmm. And you can get into a whole other conversation about that, about, yeah. well, did he choose who he wasn't going to save? Yes. And, and so on. Like you said, we won't get into the weeds. Yeah. Limited atonement meaning that Jesus died only for those who were elect, who are elect. Yeah. Irresistible grace, meaning that if you are elect, there is nothing that can stop God's plan for you coming to salvation. Mm -hmm. Perseverance of the saints, or preservation of the saints, as I kind of like it, meaning that if you are elect, you will persevere until the day of your dying breath and you will be, uh, like, that will be the indication that you were elect. Like, if you profess that Christ is Lord from the, the day of your salvation until the day of your death, that, um, and that is the Lord's doing. Yeah. He will preserve you, and you will persevere by, by faith in Christ alone yeah. until the end, until your death and your glorification. So those are really good. You did a good job explaining those. I think... As I understand Calvinism, and I would love to talk through some of my, again, without debating, some of my basic, I guess, objections or at least problems that I see that are widespread that a lot of people have with Calvinism and love to hear just your thoughts. I think the first one, and you actually highlighted it with your oof, yeah. um, is just terminology. Like Calvinism, first of all, the word Calvinism denotes this whole other like string of, of problems be like you said Calvin didn't come up with the five points but also to like title your branch of theology after a guy yeah. seems to be problematic but also just terminology in general so something that I can't stand is uh, another word that, or another term that Calvinism goes by is the doctrines of grace right mm -hmm. which <laughs> gives the connotation that if you don't affirm all the doctrines of grace you don't affirm Grace, right? Which, like, is, which is not true. Right, right. And so, like, it seems like a lot of times when I talk to Calvinists, or, and, and this may be true on my end too, I just might be blind to it, is like, <laughs> we're disagreeing on terms rather than actual concepts. Like, most of the five points uh, I affirm, I just don't affirm them in the way that they're presented. So, for instance, total depravity, uh, no Bible believing Christian, at least, would argue that we are capable of saving ourselves. In that sense, we are totally depraved. I think where the terminology starts to break down is what are the implications of that in everyday life? Like the, most Calvinists would say, and you can push back on this, that um, a sinner can do nothing to please God. They can't do anything good, right? And I don't, I don't read that in the Romans text, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, whereas I would say that's, that's a... It's a salvation issue. Like we are totally depraved in the sense we can't save ourselves, but we can choose to not sin and we can choose to even do a good thing. It's just that that doesn't make us any less depraved simply because we've done a good thing. Exactly. And so it's a terminology difference, especially when we talk about like limited atonement. I think that's the worst term. I don't sure. like it. <laughs> yeah. So um, what, how, did, how does the, the Calvinists begin to break down some of the terms so that they're digestible, if that makes sense? 
Um, how, do, how do we solve the problem of just a difference of, of terminology? What's the, and I, and I know I'm asking you to, to solve like 500 years of debate in yes. this answer right here, but um, best you can. It seems to me like it might be a starting point just returning to the scriptures, but not, you know. Well, yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. You turn to the scriptures for how, for seeing how these apply and for trying to understand them in your heart more than you understand them in your head. You do need to have a good balance of that. Yeah. But I think if you understand them just in your head, you're going to become a prideful jerk. <laughs> I know from experience. So, and this this goes beyond Calvinism. It, it goes it goes right to my, my love for, for knowledge and for theology, yeah. which for the longest time I was clinging to more than Christ yeah. for for peace or for assurance or for mm-hmm. salvation yeah. at all. So what you need to do, what what we need to do when we when we search deeper into these things is we need to come at it with a desire to not elevate ourselves but to elevate God, mm-hmm. to know him better and not to one-up people based on how much we might know about the Bible. Because I know that can be very tempting in a culture where nobody knows anything about the Bible to flaunt how much you know about the Bible. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's super tempting for me. And so, basically, the, for me personally, the five points, however we want to call them, they, they do a great job when you understand them in your heart of acting as a great way to humble you. Yeah. Because when you do understand them in, in, in the right light and yeah. in the light of Scripture, then uh, it, 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 they will do that. Right. When you understand that you're a sinful person and you could do nothing to save yourself. Right. When you understand that God's love for you is unconditional. It's based yeah. on nothing that you've done, based on not works, so that yeah. no one may boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and yeah. 9. When you understand that you're in Jesus' flock and he is your shepherd, yeah. he died for you and he'll never let you go. You know, he knows his sheep. Right. He knows his flock. Right. When you know that the Spirit has worked in you to bring you to the place where you are and right. to the place where, where you know God when he's brought you to the scriptures because you didn't just come to the scriptures on your own right if you if you do know the Lord and if you have read the Bible like you didn't you didn't get there on your own yeah that was the Lord that's in my opinion you know yeah Um, I think you won't reach the end on your own yeah you reach the end by grace yeah I think too part of the problem is and this is I've seen this we both this is not a you, you just said it this we both tend towards prideful jerkiness oh yeah um and so i think (laughs) producer caleb uh coming in hot with the uh side eye um no i think we we both tend towards towards being prideful jerks sometimes and i think a problem that i've had is equating both calvinism and uh what you would call my branch of theology which is not arminianism it's somewhere in the middle yeah um but equating it with like salvation theology of like either you have to if you don't believe these things you're ignoring scripture and like both sides so like I've, I've talked to Calvinists who are like if you don't believe these you aren't affirming biblical faith wow. and then I get in the mindset of well you're not affirming biblical faith because this is how I read the Bible and so assuming both sides are like missing the salvation piece which is just ridiculous like um, I think something that Calvinists do really really well and something that I love about you is that the elevation of God is what comes first. And so where I think Calvinism misses, it almost misses on the right side of the miss because you're missing, you're erring on the side of elevating a giant God who deserves to be elevated, and that's okay. Um, and so I guess, how do, you, how do you encourage conversation about things, about theology uh, with people who disagree with you, especially with Christians who disagree? Because it's easy to talk to people who don't agree on Christ. 
But if we agree on Christ and disagree on what he taught, that becomes a, a, a big piece for us. So how do, we, how do we begin to have these kind of conversations? <clears throat> As a humble Calvinist, you yeah. can answer that. <laughs> if, we, I mean, if we all agree on the bottom line that, that Christ is Lord, you know, all the fundamental things yeah. that, that he, he died for us and that salvation is through him and him alone, we agree on the Trinity and all the very important parts Right. That how you get there, whether that is Calvinism or Arminianism, yeah. um, those are really an added fluff, yeah, kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. Because I don't think I don't think my theology is going to save me. I think Christ is going to save me. Has yes. saved me. Yeah. Um, and so. When, when that's the foundation of any conversation, yeah. for me personally, with somebody who doesn't share the same views as I do, yeah. then it helps me to have a loving conversation mm. rather than a conversation where I'm trying to win an argument yeah. or do anything like that. It helps it be very constructive, and who knows? I might learn something from this person who doesn't share my views, or this mm. person might learn something from me. It's good. So, yeah, that's how I would go about it and encourage others to. Yeah. So this is a question I always have wanted to ask. Um, I've asked Calvin's buddies, and it usually, uh, yeah. Well, it always devolves. Okay. Um, in my other conversations, so it's not going to today. Um. First of all, I I think I know your answer to this, and so it's not a trap. But I always am curious. Is do do you think there is a is a limit to God's sovereignty? And when I say that, I don't mean is there a place where He's not sovereign. What I mean is, is there a place where He does not exercise His sovereignty? Does that make sense? And so God is. I would. I totally affirm God is sovereign over all things in the sense that He has the power to do anything He wants at any time He wants. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm curious to know if there are places where God d- steps out of His role as sovereign Lord in the sense that it is, it is a divine thing for him to be able to ex- exercise and to choose not to exercise his sovereignty. So I, I look at Jesus and when Jesus asks questions of the Pharisees, sometimes he knows what they're thinking and other times he's clearly looking for information. And so it seems that he's put down his sovereign qualities in those, in those moments. So would you, would you answer yes or no to that question? And then of course there's a follow-up. Oh, of course there is. <laughs> Can you sum that up maybe in just like a shorter sentence? Yeah. Because I, I think I have an answer. I just is, need to get it straight. Is there an area, and I, and I think you probably know where I'm going. Is there, is, there any, is there anywhere in any realm of our lives where God chooses not to exercise his sovereignty? So we're going to get into the discussion of free will. Especially, right. really the question is going to be, what do we do about sin? Right, if God yep. is sovereign, what yep. do we do about sin? You knew where I was going. So, is God exercising His sovereignty in that, or what? Do, what do we do with sin in within Calvinism? It's a great issue to address. Yeah, my my thoughts are that yes, like God is sovereign overall. So, let's get into it. Okay, so God is sovereign overall. So. I struggle. My my biggest beef with Calvinism, and this would be the one of the last two beefs that we talked about, right. um, is why. If if God is sovereign, why is how do, how is sin even possible? Because we know that God hates sin. We know that God, according to the psalmist, abhors the wicked. Even like the the sinners who are unrepentant are at enmity with God. And so, if God is sovereign and he can't stand sin, then he doesn't just allow it. He actually like is dictating things to play out. At least as I'm understanding the concept of sovereignty, it's not just an allowance. It's an actual, he is the actor in all things. And so how do we explain sin? Because um, it's not enough just to say we have free will. If God is sovereign, then he is at the very minimum allowing a thing that he hates to continue to occur. So what is your answer to, to why why there is sin and why God would, would cause sin? And I know I'm asking you to sum up like a PhD thesis in, in mm-hmm. the next three minutes, but... I'm going to 
go <laughs> after a little bit of the wording in the question. That's great. And that was God allowing. Yeah. I agree with. God causing. I disagree with. Yeah. Because God can't be the author of sin. Right. He can't. He we can't. agree that <laughs> we agree can't. that He's sovereign, and we agree that He can't author sin. Yeah. So really, the crux of my question is: How does a sovereign God, who is in control of all things, how is He not causing sin? Because so, for instance, if I have a, and you've probably heard this before, if I have a child, it's not enough simply to tell him not to burn his hand on the stove. If I see him reaching for the stove, and I allow him to touch the stove, yeah. Like, there's only a certain amount of times that can happen before I go to jail for neglect, right? Mm-hmm. Like, eventually, his teachers are going to ask, why does your kid keep coming in with scars on his hands, right? Pun intended there. So, why does God allow, how is God allowing sin not make him responsible for it? I do think that it's because we have the power of free will. Right. Is that something we can agree on? Yeah, we, we totally, again, the finer points are easy for us. Yeah. We, yeah, we definitely agree. I'm just curious as to how, where do free will and sovereignty intersect? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm still thinking about it. I'm still yeah. working, my, working my way through, how does this work? Yeah. And for me, the way I see it is that this is a more important question for salvation, yeah. for salvation's sake. It's more important to try and get over that hump before we, before we talk about yes. you know, what are the implications for sin. I agree. Because the view that I've come to about salvation is that because we are sinful people and we would never be able to, to choose God on our own unless mm-hmm. He does His work of salvation, yeah. which is his, his electing, His predestinating, I think that's <laughs> yeah, how you say it. predestining something. His predestining, yeah. <laughs> um, his calling, yeah. The, the Spirit's work in our heart, regeneration, um, that, you know, we have to think about that. Because, do we have a free will? Yeah. When, when it comes to, you know, what, what kind of shoes do we want to wear today? Yeah. Or what, what route do we want to take to get to school? Right. go to work. Yeah, little things like that. Right. Um, what we can't do if we are in an unsaved state yeah. is, is choose God. Another thing that we can't do, and it's going to get a little rocky here with grammar, but <laughs> we can't not sin. Okay. Basically. Right. But what happens with... Regeneration, and when the Holy Spirit comes and works in somebody's heart, that makes that person able to not sin. Yeah. The state of Adam and Eve before the fall were, um, they were, I'm trying to think, I've read about this before, but they were able to not sin, basically. Basically, the state that you are after your after your justification, after yeah. the Spirit works in you. And in that in-between state, in your fallen state, you're unable to not sin. Yeah. The only person who's been unable to sin and has never sinned was Christ. Yeah. And so we have to think about how the Holy Spirit enables us to not sin uh, and enables us to choose God. Yeah. Because our free will has to remain intact but God has to remain sovereign. Right. And so that is a li- like sin is the limitation on our free will. Yeah. Basically, is that when we are in a sinful state and apart from Christ, we can't choose him. Yeah. But, you know, out of God's love and his unconditional, you know, election, um, yeah. how that all works is that he makes us able to choose him. It brings us back to a state of pre-fall Adam and Eve um, makes us able to see him for who he truly is and and to choose him. And that's where the irresistible grace comes in. Is that because we see him for who he is, we want nothing else after we've been changed, regenerated, saved. Yeah. I think 
I, I really appreciate you saying like I'm still working through it because honestly like that's where my like where I say I'm in the middle is because like I don't think I have any of the answers to these questions um, I just like I find I find Arminianism and this is <laughs> sorry for any Arminians who are out there but I find it totally deficient in answering these questions mm-hmm. because when you elevate man to the point of it's all man's choice and there is no sovereign God which is what Arminianism's basic tenet is is we have free will and everything and like that is just like basically you should say we have free will God's not sovereign and I don't read my Bible should be the three tenets of Arminianism because it's like we you just deny but I also find Calvinism at least as it as it seems to be presented to also be deficient because I find myself right in this tension not able to work it out um, in my head of like, yes, you're right. God is totally sovereign. And we also have complete free will. And even I would say, I love that you said sin is what limits our free will because we are more enslaved by sin than we ever are limited by God's sovereignty. And the paradox of faith is we actually are freer in Christ, freer as slaves to Christ than we will ever be in any other realm. And so it just creates this like paradox of, you know, these two seemingly opposing ideas in my brain where, to be honest, my theological opinions, I have no idea how they, how they intersect and how they work out. I know that God is sovereign over all things. Um, we agree there. And I know that I have free will. I, I freely chose Christ. I made that conscious decision. I just don't know where the two intersected. And I may never know. I may get to heaven, ask that question, and he won't even explain it to me because yeah. he's like, you still can't understand this. Um, and I'd be satisfied with that. Yeah, so we, we were talking a lot about salvation. Let's let's get back to really quick to the issue of sin. Like again, that's the biggest question. Because we, we agree on salvation and we actually agree on what we don't know, which is how they how the two ideas of God's sovereignty um, intersect. And praise God that they do intersect because that's where salvation happens, right? Yeah. Um but where do you where do you bring in sin? and I even look at Adam and Eve, like you're right in the sense that they uh, man, everything is all, all over us today. We gotta find a better room. Um, uh, Adam and Eve were in this state of not sinning, but yet something in them gave them the capacity to commit sin. So it's almost this like flip flop nature. Whereas I would say that those who are not saved have the capacity to not sin, whereas you you would say they don't. Like every all deeds are filthy rags, right? Um, Whereas the flip of that is Adam and Eve were not sinning, but had the capacity to sin because they did. And so it almost seems to me like the state of the lost person now is the state of Adam and Eve flipped on on its head. And so, yeah, explain to me how how sin, where sin comes from in this Calvinist worldview. So, (laughs) I love watching your wheels turn as you, you gather your thoughts. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, you said it, man. You got me thinking on my feet. Um, <clears throat> so because Adam and Eve did sin, and because they are our ancestors, and yeah. because we all we all come from them some in some way or another, yeah. <laughs> that I mean, we're just getting into original sin. Uh, you know, sinful from birth. Yeah, is is my thought, and you know, it, for me. This has me going down the rabbit holes of the implications of all of this. You know, uh, what, are, what are my thoughts on infant baptism? Because I know yeah. some people do that. We don't do that. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> we're all about that. Uh, <laughs> believer's baptism, which, which I'm with. I'm yeah. with. And you know, where, where do babies go when they die? Yeah. Questions like that yeah. get raised. And you have and to almost have an complicate the issue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for it's, sure. It's crazy. But I'm personally, despite those hard questions that I still need to, well, I don't necessarily need to, but I would like to come to conclusions about at some yeah. point in my life, I'm all for original sin. There's no, there's no escaping. And so yeah. it, it's in Genesis from, I think it's before the flood, yeah. but before, right before God chooses Noah and his family yeah. to, to survive He's looking on the earth and he says, I've seen that the, the heart of man is sinful from its youth. 
Um, and so that that kind of tells me that yeah. you know, we are sinful people. And so it's what we're choosing. Yeah. It's what it's what we we want to do. And I I do kind of relax myself on this position a little bit. Yeah. Understanding that there is a thing called common grace in the world. Yeah. And that that's God holding back his his wrath. Yeah. In the way I see it. Do you do you see that the same way? No, t- totally. I yeah. think like I, I even I'm affirming original uh, original sin and common grace. Um, I think the the real issue for me is why why a sovereign God allows that to be the system, if that makes sense. Yep. And so yeah, it, it's but keep going. Sorry, common grace. Yes, I, I affirm common grace for sure. Yeah, I feel my answer may be really cheesy for this, but. I'm going to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> God allows sin because without sin, there's no gospel. Is mm-hmm. that is that too out there? I mean... No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- if, if God um, chose this way to glorify himself the most, yeah. then... It's it's here for a reason. It, sin is horrible and it is it leads to death. But this is the fact that people can be saved from such a thing is amazing. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, God is the one who does the saving, it yeah. means that He's the one who gets all the glory and we get none of it. Yeah. It's Well, I um, think there I think there's a lot to your answer of this is the way that glorifies God the most. It's kind of that one ending of Avengers that would happen out of, you know, like 14 million. Yeah. I don't know anything about it, so I haven't seen Endgame yet, so don't, don't. You saw Infinity Wars. You saw Infinity Wars. I did. You know, there's only one outcome. I don't know what that ending is yet. There's only one outcome. I get it, but just don't don't tell me what it is. I won't. won't. That's my analogy. (laughs) That's good. No, I think you're right in that. Um, I actually think that's a a sufficient answer is, is this is the way that glorifies God the most. And so, um, any other any other system wouldn't by nature of that. God is not going to put us in a system that doesn't give Him glory, um, or He won't put us in a system that doesn't give Him as much as He deserves. Yes, which is all Infinite of it. Glory, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all of it and more. Yeah, for sure. So that was, I, that was a tough one, man. No, that's good, and we we could go into more, but this podcast needs to be limited at probably an hour, so we're we don't want <laughs> um, to to go too long. I I do want to ask you this question. Not because I think it's a good question. Uh, we talked offline about this. I actually think it's a bad question about Calvinism. Um, but it is an objection, so I'd love to hear your answer. The, the mindset is, is if God has already chosen all of his people, and there's no way that they could be unchosen, and there's no way that they could fall away once their salvation is complete, then why should anyone share the gospel? Which again, I think is a horrible, <laughs> horrible question with an easy answer. You but I'd love, I'd love for you to explain it. <laughs> I'll give it the short answer, but if y'all want to go home and get a book, it'll take about two hours or so, two or three hours, depending mm-hmm. on how fast you read. Yeah. Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. Nice Great. little 100, 120 page booklet. Um, it won't take you two to three hours. Adam, it'll take Adam two to three hours. It'll probably take you and me seven hours. But that's fine. <laughs> I'm not a fast reader, by the way. <laughs> anyway, that that book sums it all up. But it pretty much, and we we can sum it up with scripture. Obviously, yeah. Romans ten. Yeah. Billy talks about it a lot. Yeah. Is that and that's our motivation to share the gospel? Is yeah. that people don't know the gospel unless somebody tells them yeah. the gospel. It's the means by which he chose people. Yes. Is by taking the people that he chose and sending them to the people that he chose. <laughs> exactly. General revelation and special revelation are not the same. Yeah. General revelation being that Romans 1, mm-hmm. that there is evidence of God in creation. There yeah. is evidence in... in right. That's a whole other topic, but you and I both agree there is yeah. that evidence there. For sure. In just the beauty of creation. Mm-hmm. He's everywhere. You can't you can't look anywhere and, and not uh, see his hand in things, and so general revelation isn't the gospel. Yeah, it is just God's existence. Yeah, special revelation 
is when you do hear the gospel, when the gospel is preached to you. Right. And that can be, you're sitting in a sermon under a preacher who's just slinging that gospel at you. Um, for anybody who missed George's sermon yesterday. Oh, man. That was Fine. it. That was it. Yeah. Just, uh, press pause on this and go to uh, at Shandon. Is it Shandon.org? At Shandon.org and just listen to his sermon and then come back. But it's awesome. Yeah. Keep so, yeah. Anyway, um, you can be in the, the worship center or you can be somebody living in a tribe in, in Africa or yeah. in East Asia and hear it for the first time. And if you are, yeah. if you are of the, you know, from, from the Calvinist point of view, if you are of the elect selected from the foundation of the world, yeah. if you hear that gospel, then the spirit will work in you yeah. and, and you will come to salvation. Um, so for a pseudo hard question, there's a pretty simple answer and that is share the gospel. <laughs> because it's a command. Yeah. And also because... Who would have thought? Yeah, right. Uh, just, I don't even... Um, it's so... And again, I think there's an argument you made from history too is that Calvinists have been better at sharing the gospel than most other people. Um, so, anyways. Um, well, dude, I appreciate you talking me through Calvinism. We could uh, maybe bring you back on to, to get into the weeds one day if we, uh, if maybe. we, if we get a reason for that. Man, we're starting this new segment called Hot Takes. Um, it's where we just get, I try to do my best to get our guests riled up to talk about um, certain things. And so, man, I, I know that you, uh, in your pursuit of theology, just love the prosperity gospel. And you love to, um, uh, Adam really, really, I mean, you should see this guy drives like, you know, three different Lexuses, and he's he's he only wears he's wearing a suit right now. Shit. He pays my rent. <laughs> just yeah, he pays all of our rent actually. <laughs> Out of the profit. Just kidding, everyone. But um, man, what do you uh, what do you think is dangerous about the prosperity gospel? Give us your unfiltered thoughts, um, because you're cr- now he's cracking his neck. This guy's scary. <laughs> um, but yeah, give us your unfiltered thoughts on the prosperity gospel, specifically on um some of your favorite quotes by some some heretics that we all know and love. All right. So <laughs> it's it's wild. My roommates and I define it first and then we'll we'll yeah. jump in. Yeah. Okay, sure. Prosperity gospel comes from is it safe to say it's it's a branch kind of of the charismatic movement? And because I, I think that's what I gathered from a documentary yes. that I watched. Definitely. So you know, who's the first person you think of when prosperity gospel comes up? We're not naming names, I guess, but... You can name that guy, probably. Okay, our boy Joel. Yeah. So <laughs> Our boy Joel. Yeah, the man with a smile to light up a city. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's pretty much the idea that your faith in God is what prospers you. And that mm. you're, that you exist yeah. for God's happiness, in a way. That's <laughs> yeah. a, that's one thing that I've heard. Like he smiles on you. Yeah. He is pleased with you. God exists to tell you that you're pretty. Wasn't it that <laughs> Albert Moeller podcast? Did you listen to that? Yes, I did. Yeah, when he was talking about, Joel had a sermon one time that said, your, your pictures on, on Osteen, no, on God's refrigerator... Yeah, or, or God's like screensaver. Yeah. You, you are God's screensaver. Yeah, I mean... Mm. Just, I don't even... That is a complete reversal of yeah. who gives the glory in, in this universe, yeah. in this world. <laughs> it's yeah. not cool. So, and, and you know, they, they add in all this stuff, like, your, your blessings in this life are in direct correlation to the amount of your faith you can obedience. Yeah. Yeah, your or your obedience. You can uh if you speak whatever you want into existence enough times because they think that because God has the power to speak things into existence, if yeah. we're made in the image of God, shouldn't we also be able to speak things into existence? Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> I was gonna say necessarily, but not at all. <laughs> so 
it's just a lot of crazy things. It focuses way too much on the life here and now rather than the life that is to come. Yeah. And I think, too, it's blood into this, like, dangerous, especially with with our, our female sisters in Christ. Like, there's all these books geared at them that are like, you know, I mean, I think, don't want to name titles and names, but... Exactly. I know what uh, you wanted. <laughs> yeah, I will. Girl, Wash Your Face, right? Is like this popular oh, okay. one that's like, it's all about you and like God exists to make you feel, um, you feel, and the, the key word is feel. God exists to make you feel loved and to make you feel pretty when in reality, he, God exists for his glory and he manifests that by saving you and you should feel loved because he actually loves you, not because not because he's like passionate about your emotions. It's because he proved his love for you on the cross. So man, I get I know I get frustrated. Um, yeah, you had some quotes earlier that I'd love for you to dissect for us. Okay. Um, yeah, because you have scripture open in front of you, which I always love. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah, hit me hit me with the quotes that you had. Yeah, I know you had two. Yeah. Just maybe. Well, don't. It just you know. Go ahead. So there was, it was around November, December that this sermon was preached, I think, and I saw some videos circulating on Instagram, some that were praising what this guy said, and some that after the video clip of what he said, somebody put a clip of R.C. Sproul said, what's wrong with you people? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, anyway, what this guy said, the point he was making was that there's only one thing that the Son of God can't do. Yeah. And he said that that is override your unbelief. Yeah. And so he was talking about when Jesus was in Nazareth and how the people didn't believe him because a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Right. You know? And so he was he was taking that and just applying it all over. I think yeah. that was a special case with the you know, people in Nazareth. Yeah. That was a that was a separate issue. It's not a generalized thing for Jesus. It doesn't mean that Jesus can't override our unbelief. Yeah. <clears throat> because if I'm a Calvinist and and I think that Jesus can't override my unbelief, then that's not Calvinism. Because <laughs> that's exactly what Jesus does. Yeah. Is he overrides our unbelief. Yeah. Whether we want to or not, because if he has chosen you there's no keeping you from him. Right. So, <laughs> um, so I just want to give some scripture uh, in response to, you know, you can't override our unbelief. Yeah. Let's see. This is in Mark 9, starting in verse 20. They brought the boy to him, Jesus. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. He asked his father, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, quoting the guy back to him, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's all there is to it. Yeah. This guy, this father had the right idea. Man, it's crazy. <laughs> so what about this other quote? There's a, a female speaker. I think this is the more egregious one. Um, what, what I almost did, threw up. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did she say? This one to me, at least this one, um, it's just wrongly interpreted scripture. The, the one that we're about to talk about it's like nowhere to be. It's like explicitly not against yeah. scripture. So what what did she say? And what is your uh, what is your final lasting thought you can leave our, this one our with? This one's short and sweet. Anyone who tells you to deny yourself is of Satan. <laughs> I can't. It's just. <laughs> oh man. If I was in the room. If I was in that room when I heard that, oh, dude! Not that I ever would be at anything <laughs> this woman preaches at, but you catch me looking at an invisible camera like Jim from the <laughs> office or something. 
Anyway, I just have that look on my face, probably. <laughs> that is wild, because if you know anything about Scripture, if you've read at least one gospel, then you know that the call that Jesus makes is to follow him to, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He must deny yeah. himself. He <laughs> must. Yeah. I mean... Well, that to me is the crux of the prosperity gospel is anything that limits my um, anything that limits my I mean, almost hedonism, right? Like my desire for good things for myself is bad and it should be removed. Anything that causes me to suffer is a bad thing and it's an obstacle and it must be removed. And so, yeah, dude, that is, man. I don't even know how to, like, reckon. I, I just don't know where that person would have gotten the uh, <clears throat> urge to say that. So. I don't know how. It's wild. All right, dude. Well, um, this has been great. I do want to get your recommendations because uh, most of our guests come on and they all recommend The Office or some other sitcom, which you may do. Um, but I want to know, because it's a Faith and Culture podcast, what you are reading, what you are listening to, what you are watching uh, that you would recommend to our listeners. This can be anything... Um, from basic TV shows to books of theology um, to whatever, whatever, new albums that are out, whatever else. So yeah. what, are your, what are your recommendations for our listeners? I'll have more books than anything else, but <laughs> I have my Goodreads app pulled up right now. <laughs> looking cause Goodreads, that's, that's my recommendation. Goodreads is the bomb. Yeah, Goodreads. That's Download how, the Goodreads app. That's how I track all my, all the things that I read. Am reading, have read. So, this one that I've been reading for a while, just because it's super heavy language written by Puritan John Owen. I think he was yeah. a Puritan. Yeah. And it's been it's been revised for modern language, and even then, it's pretty heavy. It's a, it's a chapter a day kind of thing. It's overcoming sin and temptation, which is awesome. One of my favorite one of my favorite things I've learned from that is that you shouldn't, you know, try to kill your sin because it grieves you. You shouldn't try to kill just the sins that grieve you, but you should try to kill all of your sins because they grieve a holy God. Yeah. That I never thought about that before I read yeah. that. So if you want to get into some get into some Puritans and they'll twist things on their head a little bit for you. And so, The Holiness of God, like I said earlier, R.C. Sproul. I am reading The Clash of Kings by George R.R. R. Martin. Boom! A Song of Ice and Fire, number two. It's a classic. I know. Just a banger. Yeah. <laughs> On the finance side of things, a random walk down Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, the time-tested strategy for successful investing. Just because I am a finance major, and I do kind of feel obliged or obligated. <laughs> To, to read some of these things sometimes. Financial intelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know nobody's re- really interested in that. Recently, I just read The Unsaved Christian, Reaching Cultural Christianity with, That's good. with the Gospel, which it, it basically goes through a lot of different kinds of Christianity. Um, how, and I recognize myself in one of them. And if you read it, you might too, but it talks about people who could be either, you know, God and country Christians, if you, if you relate your politics with your religion a little too much, as some yeah. people like to do, as people like to say <coughs> or believe all Republicans are Christians, not the case. Yeah. Not all Christians are Republicans, and so on. People like that, people um, <coughs> who said a prayer when they were saved and think that they are Good to go. Yeah. And don't have to come back to all church set. or yeah. repent at all. It's it was a great book. Hampton called me a humble Calvinist earlier. There's a really good book called Humble Calvinism, <laughs> which if you want to know if you want to know more about the five points, that's a great place to start. And that's where I got kind of what I was saying earlier about knowing the five points in your heart rather than your head. That's good. Yeah. And a little bit more on the fiction side. The Martian Chronicles. The Martian? The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. Fahrenheit 451. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
that's, a great. That's he's, great. He's a great author. Those are great recommendations. Yeah. And if you want to cry, read A Dog's Purpose. A I Dog's cry. Purpose. I cried twice. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that the one that just got made into a movie? Where Maybe. He like is a rescue dog? Is he, that A Dog's Purpose? He is a rescue dog at one point and A Dog's Purpose. I get a lot of them mixed up because some are sequels and then some are just completely separate stories. But <laughs> I just, okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh man, if you want a dog's purpose, honestly, that sounds not good. But I'm really glad you recommended. It was so wholesome, man. <laughs> I love dogs. Oh man, that made me happy. Um, well, dude, thank you for coming on. Um, yeah, we are excited to hopefully be having Elliot Hawkins on later on this week, so at least next week. He's a teacher in the public school system. He wants to talk about education reform. He's actually participating this Wednesday in a uh, nationwide teacher walkout and so he will have some cool stuff to talk about um, but stay tuned Adam thanks for thanks for coming to hang thank y'all for having me and as always I'm Hampton Harmon with the more and more podcast follow us on Instagram uh, yeah we love you we out <laughs>